Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Want to teach your kids financial literacy but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com ACAST. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Thanks for listening to Creative Control. Uh, While I have you here, please consider supporting Youth Empowerment and Support Services, otherwise known as YES. Based in Edmonton, Alberta, YES provides immediate and low-barrier overnight and day shelter, temporary supportive housing, and individualized wraparound supports for young people aged 15 to 24. They work collaboratively within a network of care focused on the prevention of youth homelessness by providing youth with the necessary supports to stabilize their housing, improve their well-being, build life skills, connect with community, and avoid re-entry into homelessness. Learn more about how to donate or otherwise support YES by visiting YESS.org. Hey, this is Trevor from Halifax calling in to say that I support Creative Control on Patreon because I think long-form arts journalism is a crucial part of music culture and there's simply not enough of it out there today. Vish is a master interviewer, he lands great guests, and he has his finger on the pulse of the ever-changing music landscape both here in Canada and abroad. For all of these reasons and many more, I think you should support Creative Control on Patreon too. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash creative control today. I'm Visha's wife, and I will love him no matter what you do. And now he has me on the record saying that. Ronaldo is a talented musician, poet, visual artist, singer, producer, and songwriter based in New York City. A founding member of the hugely influential band Sonic Youth, Ronaldo has been incredibly prolific in his own right, both during the band's existence and especially since the band broke up in 2011. His latest album is a hauntingly unique one called In Virus Times, a solo guitar record which he recorded himself in his home. And Virus Times is available via Mute Records on November 12th, 2021, and it prompted Lee to return to this show to discuss things like The Velvet Underground, Alan Licht, and musical workshops at the Hillside Festival in Guelph, Ontario. 
Sonic Youth's always an ever-expanding catalog. Bob Dylan, Clinton Halen, and the Bob Dylan Center in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Taking a long break from playing guitar or making music during the pandemic and processing the last American presidential election, illustrating and etching a question from a listener, solo and minimal guitar music, playing shows, future plans, and much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash creative control with additional support from Blackbird Music, a well-stocked record store with locations in Edmonton and Calgary and friendly staff who will happily help you source special orders for hard-to-find titles, which you can learn more about at their website, blackbird.ca, plus in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario. This is the 648th episode of Creative Control, featuring the lovely and talented Lee Ronaldo, with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hi, Lee. How's it going? It's going pretty well, Vish. Nice to speak to you again. Yes, you too. It's only been, uh, I feel like we did, what are we talking, 2020? Is that the last time we spoke or something like that? I, I think feel like so. I think we talked about uh, names of North End women. Did we meet in Toronto at that point? or no? Yeah, it was probably one of my first Zoom calls, frankly. Oh, uh, oh right. Raul, right. Raul, Raul and you, I forget where you were. Uh, Raul was probably what, in Brazil or something like that? In Spain and probably in Barcelona. Oh, Spain. There you go, Spain, yeah. yes. Yeah, I've already done yeah, so yeah. many of these. Yeah, yeah. So that's the last time we, we chatted, but it's nice to uh, speak with you again. Actually, uh, your name came up very recently on uh, an episode of uh, this show when I had uh, your friend Alan Licht on. Uh, he mentioned that you two had attended the premiere of the new uh, Velvet Underground documentary by Todd Haynes. Is that Was he telling the truth? Yes, he was. Yes, he was. And I was aware that you guys spoke recently. That, that sounds exciting. His new book seems, uh, seems really great. Oh, it's fantastically. And, uh, you are mentioned, uh, in it, uh, or Sonic Youth is mentioned in it. Uh, it's, yeah. and, uh, lots of wonderful, uh, interviews. He's, uh, yeah, no, it's great. And, uh, we were, we were actually recalling the last time, the only time actually Alan and I met was when Lee Ronaldo and the Dust played the Hillside Festival in Guelph many years ago. Do you remember that? Oh, sure. Sure, I do. Yeah. 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 Yes, I, yes was, I do. Yeah, he was recalling uh, one of his... I asked him just about, you know, memories of it, and he remembered uh, Shadowy Men on a Shadowy Planet and the Sadies doing Alice Cooper's Love It to Death in its entirety. Do you... Were you... <laughs> <laughs> I remember. I remember as well. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He has a good memory for that kind of stuff. Um, well, yes. Yeah, no, it was, yeah. that was a memorable, uh, a whole memorable weekend because uh, I had brought up the fact that you uh, and him and the dust were also in a workshop uh, with members of Bell Orchest and Colin Stetson and Sarah Neufeld and and you led everyone in a rendition of Revolution Blues by Neil Young? Yeah, that was a beautiful afternoon. I really enjoyed uh, 
doing that set uh, almost as much as as doing the band set uh, just having all those interesting uh, players up on stage together was was you know that's one of the nice things that happens at those kind of festivals sometimes that you get strange combinations you wouldn't get just because a bunch of people are around yeah normally i i knowing your pedigree i i would imagine you experience those types of things at more uh improvisational or experimental music festivals i i want to say uh you know i know you're used to that playing with people in the moment was it unusual for you to do yeah. such a th- was it was it unusual for you to do such a thing in more of a rock oriented way the way you did that night? Well, maybe to some degree, but uh you know, festivals are getting more adventurous and when they've got a bunch of people there that are each doing their own kind of more legit sets, they're willing to uh let them go out on one limb or another to do those kind of uh things. I was recently listening to a recording that Sonic Youth made at uh, a festival in Scandinavia a few years back. And we we did our own set on one day. I think it was Ross Kilda, but I'm not really sure. And the next day we did a completely improvised set with a sax player, Mats Gustafsson and Mertzbau from, uh, from Japan. And wow. uh, Jim O'Rourke was with us at the time. And it was, it was one of these sets where we just went out with a, with a crew of collaborators and just, uh, just, you know, just an experiment to see what would happen. And it was a really wonderful, uh, I don't know, hour and a half long or hour long set. And, uh, you know, those, those kind of things are quite special when they happen. Yeah. Was that recorded in any way? It was. It's a, it's a release on the, uh, on our SYR label. Oh, right. Um, Jeez. Okay. I think it's called, I think it's called Other Sides of Sonic Youth, that one. I forget whether it's number, I think it's number SYR eight or seven or eight anyway. Do you have a high tolerance for people not being able to keep up with everything you do? Because I, I, you know, you know me, I'm a big fan of you and Sonic Youth. It's hard to keep up with everything. Would you agree? Yeah, it, it is in general. And I, I don't have a problem with that at all. Even with, <laughs> you know, even with uh, artists that I revere, there's always little pockets of like, oh, I don't really, you know, I don't really know that record very well or this one. And yeah. it just means there's, you know, fruit out there to still be discovered. I was talking to a friend about uh, Bob Dylan recently. I think you know I'm a big Dylan obsessive and he's mm-hmm. about to come around on tour and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing him. He's a national treasure. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were talking about one song from the 21st century, I guess, that they considered to be one of his best. And I said, I didn't know it. And, and it was, it's from the album called Tempest. And I was like, Oh, I, I, I've heard that record, but I really didn't ever dug deep into that record. So it just means there's more out there to, to, to find interest in, you know, which is great yeah. sometimes. I will say for, as you may know as well, I'm a m- massive Bob Dylan fan and Tempest is, uh, about the angriest record I can think of by him. And that includes, you know, blood on the tracks or what have you. Like it's, it's quite rageful. If you will. And so, yeah, I would, yeah. I would, uh, dig deep into it. And it was one of the ones where I reviewed it. I don't know about you, Lee, but I still feel like, uh, when you, re- when, when those types of entities connect with you on a level, like I know you've worked on the I'm Not There soundtrack, which must have been a thrill. Uh, again, Todd Haynes. Yep. Yeah. And so you got to work on a bunch of, uh, Dylan songs. That's yep, very exciting. Exactly. But yeah, I wrote a review of Tempest and then the Bob Dylan camp shared it, you know, and they acknowledged it and, oh. and they've blurbed me before, like, uh, on uh, one of this, uh, recent, uh, what we, what we kind of colloquially call the Sinatra records, you know, I reviewed one sure. and they 
put me in the press release. And I tell you, that's sort of nothing, but it felt like something. Like, oh my God. You know, like- <laughs> no, it's great. It, it, it's, it's great when that happens. And, and when it happens from a surprising, uh, air, you know, place like that, like you don't really expect Bob Dylan's people to, to come out and blurb, you know, yeah. blurb you, yeah. your words. But, uh, that, that's great. Uh, you know, uh, but they they seem to be very on top of that kind of stuff. I've been doing some work, uh, with the Bob Dylan Center out in Tulsa, Oklahoma the last couple of years. Well, particularly right before the pandemic. And, and actually, Alan was out there at one point, too. They've invited a whole bunch of different people to go out there and comb through Dylan's archives and choose a single item to write about for their uh, catalog that's going to come out when they open their new building uh, next next spring. Oh, nice. And uh, it, it's a fascinating place. And it's just, you know, it's a treasure trove for for any uh, Dylan uh, obsessive in terms of the kind of stuff they have out there that's unseen by the public, but now available for, you know, I guess scholars or whatever you want to call it, academics to, to comb through for research. Yeah, I was uh, I've so, also made contact with them and, and they've made contact with me, uh, a couple of the people at that center, and they've invited me to to come out at some point and obviously I'm waiting till well I'm waiting till at least my children are vaccinated they're under 11 uh, years old so I'm hoping I'm trying not to yep. you mentioned like I I had my eye on some of those uh Dylan shows that you're you're about to see but I also was like yeah. do I really want to travel at this point like my I don't want to put people at risk you know my family in particular when I come back so anyway yeah I'm I'm hoping to yep. have you actually you you were physically at the uh, Bob Dylan Center did you get to check it out yeah, it was pre-COVID, but I was there yeah. for, I don't know, a week or 10, 10 days in Tulsa. And, and it was, it's an interesting place. And, and the center is, is just fantastic. The stuff that they've got there. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be, uh, I think it's going to be quite a draw when it opens. It's right down the street from, uh, the Woody Guthrie Center, mm-hmm. which is also a pretty, pretty fantastic place. And, you know, it's really going to be, uh, it's, it's interesting that it's in the heartland rather than on one of the coasts, but in a way it's, it's sort of fitting for, for Bob to be uh, in an out-of-the-way location like that, uh, that you know, people have to sort of make a pilgrimage to. Yeah, I, I interviewed uh, one of the uh, curators there, and he mentioned that uh, the Kaiser family, the the family that's sort of the yep, they're 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 based out there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's why they've they got out there. Actually, you know, oddly enough, as we're speaking, two days ago, I finally finished uh, Clinton Halen's new uh, book about Bob Dylan. And sp- oh. speaking of blurbs. Who blurbs the book? You. You are blur. You blur. Me, yes. <laughs> You're, yes. You know- <laughs> we, we are good friends. Actually, we're going together to Dylan's concert here in New York. I mean, Clinton lives in London, but he's going to be in town uh, finally, I think, promoting that book. And, you know, it's the first of a projected either two or three volume life of, of Dylan. And uh, it really draws heavily. It's maybe not so much the first volume, but the next volume for sure is going to draw really heavily on the Tulsa archives. And yeah, we, so we, 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 we're old friends at this point. Oh, and, nice. That's cool. Uh, he's, he's quite a character. Yeah. It's interesting. You, for those who haven't read the book, and I may, maybe I'll reach out to Clinton to see about a chat because that's why they sent me the book, you know, but I, uh, I was, mm-hmm. I find his tone a bit curious. I can't tell if he, I can tell he loves Bob. But I can also tell he doesn't really like him somehow. You know what I mean? He picks at him a little bit. That was my reading of the thing. You might you might have some insight about this because you know him. But do you know where I'm coming from with that a little bit? He calls him like a liar. Oh sure, yeah. <laughs> sure, sure. He he has a very personal writing tone, yeah. and I think it's it's uh, 
come to the fore as he's written more and more books and, and you sort of garnered more and more readers. And he writes a lot of stuff about Bob, but he's, he's a prolific author. He's written about Shakespeare. He's written about Orson Welles, you know, as, as well as some really classic books in the rock genre, the, from the velvets to the voidoids being one of the early ones. That's a really fantastic book for anyone that wants to read about the, the New York scene in particular and the rise of punk rock in, in the late seventies. Mm. But, um, he, he's got it. He's very opinionated. It's one of the hallmarks of Clinton that people either love or hate or a combination of the two. But he's a very opinionated guy and his opinions have seeped more and more into his books. And he's, he's enough of a scholar. I mean, his brain is encyclopedic in terms of its, his knowledge of all this stuff, dates of concerts, you know, not just Dylan, but just all over the yeah. map. And he feels he's a sort of expert. And, and, and I have to say he is. Yeah. And, and so he, he throws his opinions around with the weight of someone who feels that they know what's right and wrong. <laughs> and, you know, it, it presents, uh, it presents many a moment to, uh, to have an argument over. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And, and when I read the acknowledgments at the end of the book, I realized that he thanks a lot of people that I've been in contact with in the Dylan world, including people from the Dylan camp. So he clearly has a, you know, they clearly have a connection to him, uh, in that regard and they, 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 they help him. So it's not a hatchet job per se. You, like you say, he's an encyclopedia, but he, he pulls no punches about Bob either. So that's all. It was just, it's an interesting tone. Normally, you know, people like, I don't know about you and, but we, we, we kind of love the guy. We love Bob. And so we, we try to give him the benefit of the doubt, de- sure. benefit of the doubt. And I don't think Clinton in a, in a somewhat refreshing way doesn't do that. Uh, he, if things are wrong, he says they're, if he thinks the things are wrong, he'll say it. And, uh, and that's, yeah, yep. it's unusual. Yep. I think he's trying to be, you know, to trying to keep his, himself fair, you know, in fairness as a critic. Yeah. You know, there's, there's been certain biographers over the years of, of Dylan and other people. Like I'm, I'm thinking of, uh, Albert Goldman who wrote those awful books about, uh, or, or sort of tawdry books about Elvis and then later yeah, John Lennon. Yeah. And, you know, they're, they're out to do hatchet jobs and he's certainly not one of those. Obviously Dylan is a big part of his life, but he's also, he wants to be a critic in the true sense of the word to laud at the, the the things he thinks are laudable and and to tear down the the, the deceits and and lies or you know fallacies that he sees as well so I think I think it's his attempt to be a balanced critic rather than someone who's either fawning or just completely you know derogatory yeah and and, and that makes him worth reading yeah I think it was compelling I couldn't stop reading it like I, I, I there were times where I'm like why is he saying this why does he call him these names <laughs> but uh, at the same time and, and I also he's very I will say uh, for those who haven't read uh, this book yet like he he for, he is very unforgiving of uh, scholars other Dylan scholars and critics who oh, yeah. feels who, who feels have done hell <laughs> you know done short shrift to him but uh uh, you know, it's, it's he's really in the air right now. I I I wrote a, a review of uh, Springtime in New York, this newest uh, bootleg series collection, and again, uh, you know, some fortune falls on me, and that the Dylan Camp noticed it and blurbed it. Did you check out that collection? I I really oh surprised, yeah I yeah, surprised I was surprised extensively. Yeah, I was surprised by how much I loved it because it's not my favorite era, but I was surprised, and it made me revisit. Yep. 
all of those records, like the proper ones, if you Same will. Same here. Yeah. So Same you, here. And that, yeah. that's what that series does in general. I mean, every one of those periods of the lesser periods, you know, I think I'm thinking of particularly like the self-portrait period, which that record was roundly critiqued when it came out. But the, the revisionist box set portrays it in a whole different light. And, you know, there's so much rich stuff to find in every period there. It's, yeah. it's incredible. And the new, the new collection is no, no exception. And there's so much just, you know, there's so much stuff that he left off records that on anybody else's records would be the standout track, you know? Yeah. yeah. And it's just, just the quirks of his nature that, that uh, caused that to happen. Well, he's a, you know, I like talking about Bob. I'm, I'm envious that you're going to go, you're going to go see him. So have fun. That's going to be great. I saw the set list from, uh, as we're speaking, he's done, uh, uh, to my knowledge, one show, I think, and uh, the set list looked cool. I really loved uh, Rough and Rowdy Ways as well, so, and he's been playing a lot of those yes. songs. So yeah. yeah, he's been playing a lot of it. I think he's done two so far. Oh, is I it two? Last yeah. night was the second second right. one. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so it's looking good. Yeah. Well, good luck and have fun with that. Um, so uh, I'm very happy to talk to you about this uh, surprising release. I suppose it's a very uh, very interesting one. It's called In Virus Times. Uh, what do you want to say about, uh, I read your, what you call your loner notes, uh, yeah. <laughs> instead of liner notes, which, uh, I think is very clever and, uh, it's short and brief and it explains it. But for those who don't know, uh, can you talk a little bit about your motivation for making this, uh, this, this record and, and the sound of it too? Can you talk about those things? Sure. I think the last time we talked, uh, I, I was probably talking to you about the last record I made, which was made with Raul Refri from, from Barcelona called Names of North End Women. Mm -hmm. And that record came out the end of February 2020. So literally like uh, a week or 10 days before New York in particular and the world basically went into lockdown for, you know, the year and a half that we are either still in or climbing out of, depending on who you talk to. So, you know, all of our plans for the year 2020, we were, uh, we had created a very inventive, uh, style of performance as a duo together, kind of playing this very complicated record in a very experimental manner. And we'd, we'd made all these plans for the year and then everything stopped, you know, cold for everybody. You know, I think that that's mainly the most interesting thing about this last year and a half and this pandemic is that it was, maybe the first time in history that there's been such a global phenomenon. You know, it wasn't mm -hmm. isolated. This wasn't a war in Europe or Afghanistan or, or you know, apartheid in South Africa or something. It was the entire world in, in, in embroiled in this one uh, tragic, tragic event, a uh, series mm -hmm. of events. And anyway, you know, when that happened and all of our plans got dashed, I, you know, it was, it was such a confusing time. I mean, I'm sure everybody uh, relates to that statement. It, you know, we didn't know when it first started if we were going to be locked down for a week or three weeks or six weeks or, you know, it was just completely uh, unknown and it just kept going on and on. And I was pretty devastated by the fact that, uh, you know, we couldn't present this, this record and promote this record especially since it was a record that was really uh, covering a lot of new territory for the two of us. And we were really uh, hoping to go out and sort of by way of our performances, sort of explain and show off what we were, what we were up to. And I really, at that point, 
sort of stopped doing music for a number of months. I, I, I hardly picked up a guitar. I mean, it, this is not, not even just for the first few months, but it's almost kind of gone on uh, right up until today. My, my moments of working on music since the pandemic began have been quite spotty. Mm. And, but for the first four or five months from that, you know, from March into the summer, I don't think I picked up a guitar. Things were just so confusing and I was, I had been all ready to go out and perform these songs we'd spent the last year writing. And it wasn't in my desire at that moment to sort of pick up a guitar and say like, well, I'll work on new stuff after having spent a year kind of doing just that, you know? <laughs> so I, I threw myself into other activities. I was mainly, uh, doing visual art works. I was spending a lot of time sitting at our table in our, in our dining room here and, and, uh, sketching and painting, uh, all of these different flowers that, uh, my wife Leah was bringing home hmm. to sort of brighten up our loft because we were stuck in it basically 24 hours a day in that, especially in those early, really paranoid days. Yeah. So I started this whole series of, of watercolors of these flowers. She'd bring them home and they would be, you know, in the burst of bloom and I would be drawing and painting them and then they'd get, start to get withered and I'd continue and then they'd be dead and I'd still be drawing them and, you know, and then a new batch would come in and I spent most of the year from March 2020 in particular, uh, working on these drawings and it, it kind of became a bit of a consuming thing for me and, 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 and it was a nice, I have to say, it was kind of a nice break from, from just this, the constancy of doing music in yeah. a way. You know, it was, it was really a break. And it was a time when the world was in a, both broken and in a break uh, in general. There were no concerts. Nobody was doing anything. And in, in a way, aside from the tragic aspects of this pandemic, it seemed like a, a moment for refresh and renewal to some degree. And, and for me, taking a break from music felt in a way like the right thing to do at that, at that moment. Yeah. But you know, as, as we moved into summer, I started tinkering with some things again. And by the autumn, I was working on these few different thematic elements on the guitar and I wasn't really working on them with any particular plan. I wasn't working towards an album or planning, you know, we were certainly not planning performances or anything like that at that point, but I, I just, I just started tinkering with these few really basic themes and in a way, when I picked up the guitar sort of late in the summer into September, I felt like I was approaching it almost as a beginner and as a, with like a new, um, a new open perspective on it. You know, I'd kind of lost my technique and forgot all the different uh, tunings and, and shapes that I had invented for the last batch of songs and, and picked it up almost, really almost kind of like a beginner. And I started playing this very basic stuff. And recently I've come to liken it, you know, uh, to, uh, to these drawings I was making because my main interest, you know, I was sort of sitting around in our living room here at home. I recorded the record here in our living room where I'm talking mm -hmm. to you from, uh, at home. And I was sitting around in the living room in the evening and it was dark. And, you know, it was that moment in time. This was September 2020. So here in the States in particular, we had these dual, like, 
pressing anxieties of the pandemic was still going on. It had now been six months. We didn't know if it was going to be six years or, you know, nobody knew it would knew what was going to happen. Really. We were still, you know, washing our hands furiously and wiping down the doorknobs and stuff when we came in the doors, you know, and all that crazy, uh, I, I call it paranoid, but it really, it was just safekeeping sure. at the time. It was, it was justifiable paranoia, I guess you would say. Well, it also offered us some measure of con- like feeling like we could control things a little bit by wearing masks and uh, washing our hands, like just feeling like you were doing something to prevent this thing from entering your home. <laughs> yeah, you you weren't sure if it was working, if those those precautions were working, exactly. but you were doing yeah. what we were all doing what we could. Yeah. You know, we were ordering our groceries instead of going to the grocery store and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and you know, just being in this high state of anxiety about the pandemic and at the same time we were approaching the US elections. Mm. So we were in this high state of anxiety about the possibility that Trump was going to be reelected. And it was, it was literally one of the most incredibly stressful times I've ever experienced, both as a person and I feel like as a, as a nation, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in my lifetime. And these two things were just so oppressive. And, you know, so between them, everyone I knew was basically just kind of like glued to the news 24 hours a day, either hearing about the possibilities of whether Trump was going to be reelected or not, or or even early on, like, who was he going to face? Was it, you know, going to be Kamala Harris or, you know, all these other uh, potential candidates? And it was a really, really stressful time. And I was just sitting around in the living room playing, playing with the guitar and, and I had something going. And so I figured I would set up some, some proper microphones and, and just for my own edification, kind of do a real recording of what I was working on instead of using my iPhone or a little handheld recorder or something like that. So I set up some microphones in my living room and it pretty much in, by the time I set them up, the sun had gone down. I hadn't turned on any lights and it was just totally dark and, I just started playing and I felt like what I was doing was akin to what, what I was, these flowers that I was drawing because I was striking these chords and just kind of letting them bloom into the air and then letting them kind of die and wither away and then striking another one and just kind of repeating. And it felt really primitive to me. And it felt like, you know, basically at that moment in September, to some degree, it felt like, you know, all that I could do or the best that I could do. And, uh, you know, I started to weave these different uh, thematic elements together. And I played for, you know, I recorded in in the end for the record is 22 minutes long. Mm-hmm. And, and we can talk about the format, uh, you know, being a single sided record and all this stuff. But yeah. the record is 22 minutes long. But I think I recorded... I don't know, uh, 90 minutes or so of music of just different themes and variations. And then I spent the next few months sort of intensively working with the material, editing and structuring and sorting out exactly how I wanted to present this stuff. And it, 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 it literally took me a few months of, of kind of intense work to whittle it down to this, this, these four sections that total 22 minutes. And I felt like I had something nice on my hands, you know, and, yeah. and I recorded here in our living room. So it's not a proper studio. I think I turned off all the sort of noisy fans in the house, but I left the windows open. And so there's a certain kind of ambience to the recording. I mean, the recording is pretty well done, but 
you can hear noises from the street and sometimes you hear an occasional siren go by outside or you hear uh, people talking in the next room or something yeah. like that, you know. And at at first when I heard that stuff, I was a little disappointed that the recording wasn't more pure. But the more I thought about it, it really felt like, and the more I listened to it, it really felt like it gave it a, a purpose and a place, you know, like this was recorded in relative isolation. You know, if you looked out the windows in that period of time and, and indeed I made a, a video called uh, isolation based on John Lennon's song that I had covered many years ago. I made a pandemic video for that yeah, song yeah. where I, I asked um, people I knew all over the world to send in small uh, video clips of their, their locality, you know, what was going on where they were. And it basically, I got, you know, clips like I got about 150 clips from all over the world, every continent and uh, all different kinds of places. And it was mostly everyone's empty streets yeah. or some whoever they were, like someone sitting alone in their part, their their room in their house or apartment. And it was, you know, it was really this moment that we all shared. So I felt like this the manner in which it was recorded was was kind of commensurate with what was on on the mu you know what the music was and that becomes a part of the the recording in a sense is just this environmental sound in the background it's not a pristine studio recording but it's a it's a lockdown recording uh you know for better or yeah, worse and it seems like i associate the siren whoop with like a, a new york siren it's not a siren you it's not like a woo it's that whoop whoop and it comes in and it feels yeah. it feels like perfect for the mood and i mean you, t yeah. you you're describing the uncertainty that you you as a citizen of your country and a citizen of the world during a pandemic uh were experiencing and i hear it in the in the music and i hear it it's fascinating to hear hear you say that you know you were coming back to an instrument uh, that you've been playing for most of your life and felt a little unsure of it and I will say something like I've been playing in virus times in the house. I was uh, making breakfast for the family today and I had it on. And my 10 year old son, who's been hearing it in the house today said, and I, I say this with all respect to you, Lee, <laughs> <laughs> my 10 year old son, Levon, he goes, when's the song going to start? And I was like, that's interesting. Like, that's just an interesting observation. Like, it sounds like he wants to start. It's, is it going to start? I'm like, yeah, I know it's on now. It's happening. But yeah. that. It, he he connected to the emotion of it. I think, like on the one hand, I say I'm all respect to you, but I, I don't think it's insulting. I think no, you also were like, as you were playing, you're like, you know, is is life starting again? Yeah, like it, it does have that kind of auspicious quality of tentative triumph. Like something is going to happen soon, and and you're 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 making the guitar sing uh, in a way that it hasn't been able to sing in in quite some time. So I just want to say. On an emotional level and in an emotive sense, like those qualities definitely come through. And when I hear that whoop whoop or the the chatter that you describe, the ambience, yeah. it it adds to that haunting tone of some sort of dystopian uncertainty. You know, like I I really feel like that comes through for what that's worth. Yeah, I love that comment because in a way I think that's how I was feeling at the time. Like, when's the song going to start? Like trying to come back to music <laughs> in a sense and 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 feeling like a, a, a primitive in a sense and just, you know, like you, you're, you're, I'm just strumming the strings basically and listening to this sound and, yeah. and it's it's the most basic 
primitive aspect of a guitar. You know, you can get very fancy, especially with the left hand and do all kinds of fancy stuff. And, and at that point, I felt like I had lost the ability to do all that stuff or the, the, or the motivation to do all that stuff, you know, and I just wanted to hear, you know, the strings uh, re resonate in this wooden body and, and, uh, you know, see, uh, see what it sounded like again, kind of like bringing myself yeah. back into the fold of the instrument. You know, when I first, when the night that I recorded, uh, the stuff, uh, when I was setting up the microphones, we had the television on and it was, uh, I don't know, MSNBC or something like that. And they were, they were reporting on the election. And even in September, they were talking about the possibilities of, you know, Trump stealing the, the election if he lost and all mm -hmm. this stuff. And some of that made its way onto the beginnings of the tape from this, this evening session. And the first edit I did of the piece had about a minute of this uh, recorded television news broadcast on it talking about Trump and Biden. And, you know, I left it on there because I felt like it really set the tone, like it really did, like put a nail down in the ground and said this piece was recorded in this in this time period, you know, and it, it kind of set, set this, uh, set the stage basically for what comes next. And then in the end, MSNBC wouldn't let us use the, the clip because they never let anybody right. use their, their stuff in, in those, in any way, basically. It, it didn't matter. They weren't making a judgment on my content or anything like that. They just never allow that kind of thing. And so yeah. after fighting yeah. like hell to keep it, we took it off. And I'm so glad that we did because, you know, who at this moment in time wants to hear all that baloney anymore? And, and it, it allowed the piece yeah. to sort of be free to live its own life in a sense and, and to sort of both be of that time and, and beyond it, I hope anyway. And, um, you know, it's as a Canadian here, I have, uh, your, during that time period that you're describing, I had, I was just flipping manically between MSNBC and CNN and yeah, whatever else. Just we to, all were. It was stressful. Yeah. Well, it was stressful for us too. You know, I, no offense, America's a bit of a drama queen, and we all end up paying no attention doubt. to everything it, <laughs> it does. And so, but I will say, uh, the election happened, and certainly after the dramatic uh, call that Biden finally won, you know, a week yeah. or two after the, I can't even remember now, such a blur, but it was a week after the election, I think. I basically have disengaged from all those people. Like, I don't watch that news, those channels at all. And it's fascinating to me because I was watching them pretty religiously, uh, and consuming all of this news just to see what was happening down there. And I've stopped. Have you, are you still watching these things yourself? No, as a you know, I think what you're, the experience you just described is, is, is a, is a communal one. And uh, certainly yeah. as soon as, uh, you know, I mean, it extended through election day and January 6th and the Capitol storming and all that kind of stuff. And it's, it's been ongoing, right. but there was a sense of, okay, there's an adult back at the helm and we can breathe a little <laughs> bit easier and like turn ourselves to other, other uh, thoughts. And I've definitely, tuned it out uh to a large degree you know i keep up i read the newspaper every day and whatnot but i i've i've not yeah. been obsessive about any of that stuff and you know um we just had elections here and yeah the hysteria is mounting again because certain races that the Democrats were really desperate to hold on to they did not win and you know and yeah. sort of trumpers got got in and whatnot and 
And I was reading this stuff and starting to feel that same sort of welling up inside me that I, that I remember feeling so strongly back then. And I just said, you know what? I just have to tune this stuff out right now. It's, uh, and, yeah. and, you know, yeah. live my life basically and just try to get beyond, uh, the, the, the petty politics, uh, you know, of the moment as, as much as yeah. possible. You know? Yeah, no. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You alluded to the fact that this is a, a one-sided uh, record. And uh, we actually, yeah. Ali, we, we actually have a question that came in from a listener. Is it okay if I share it with you? Sure. It's Jermaine. Okay, here's the question. Does he connect in Virus Times in any way to his first solo guitar LP, From Here to Infinity, which also had an engraving on the B-side? That question comes to us by one Alan Licht. From New York City, uh, Lee, uh, can you speak to Alan's question? <laughs> well, you know, it's it's interesting because, uh, as I said, I didn't, I wasn't thinking about this music as an album, or I really wasn't. I didn't have any agenda for this music. I I, I was playing something that I liked the sound of, and I wanted to make a a decent document of it, you know. And so I set up the microphones, but I I hadn't thought like okay, I'm I'm making a new record or something like that. But when it was done, I was pretty happy with the piece and Alan is actually one of the first uh, uh persons that I shared it with in in some early mm-hmm. stages and and some of the comments he made and discussions we had back and forth uh helped me kind of clarify some things about the piece and f- helped me finish the piece. And, and I've, I've acknowledged that on, uh, on the notes on the back of the, the back cover of the record that, that Alan was kind of an early listener and, and had some comments yeah. that were helpful to me. But I never expected that, you know, my record company is mute out of out of London and out of New York here. And I didn't really expect that this was going to be a record that they were going to be interested in. But being respectful of my record company, I have a really good relationship with them. And, and I think they're a fantastic company, really artist centric in a way that is not the norm these days. I, mm-hmm. I, I presented it to them and I said, like, here's here's what I've been doing. And, you know. I just want you to hear it. And, you know, I don't, I, I probably even said, I, you know, I don't expect that you're, you're going to want to release this or, or, or whatever. And, you know, there's a small label that's uh, recently uprooted from New York and uh, moved to California and it's called VDSQ. And yeah, it's yeah. a label that puts out, ex- uh, they have a series that they do of exclusively solo acoustic guitar music. And they, they've put out a bunch of fantastic records. Alan has one on the label. Thurston Moore has one. A lot of different uh, names. And they're, they're, as a whole, the series is really pretty great. Yeah. And Steve uh, Lowenthal, who runs the label and who also wrote an amazing book about the uh, guitarist, American primitive, quote unquote, guitarist John Fahey, that I would mm-hmm. highly recommend uh, for anyone interested in John's work. You know, he's been bugging me forever to do something for the label, and I've really wanted to for a long time, and I never had the opportunity to, I never found the right music. And I thought like, okay, Mute's going to listen to this and say, we'll wait for the next real record, quote unquote, real <laughs> record. And then sure. I was going to give this record to VDSQ. But Mute came back and said that they loved it and they were really excited by it and they wanted to do it, which, you know, it, it kind of surprised the hell out of me, but it certainly pleased me. And it was the folks at Mute, and this is what I mean about an artist-centric label. They, you know, I, I was also like, you know, it's a it's a 22-minute piece. It's like to break it up and put half of it on one side and half of it on the other side. I mean, they would sound good because there'd be 12 minutes of music on a side or something like that. But 
it, it didn't seem conducive to the listening of the piece because I really think you know it's a twenty minute piece. It's not a not a two hour piece. It's it should be listened to sort of in one setting, sitting mainly. And they it, came it, up it with is, the idea. It, it is it, it is divided into four parts, just so people recognize that. But you view this yes. as a whole, yeah. It's a whole piece. Okay. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. It's four yeah. interrelated parts, and they right. they came up with the idea of putting it on one side and having known that. I've actually done two or three records in the past where there were etchings on the vinyl. Some of them, the the first one uh, in from from here to infinity that Alan refers to, the etching on side two was done by uh, a London artist named Savage Pencil, uh, mm-hmm. long associated in the early days with Sonic Youth. Uh, and still a dear friend of ours and still an active uh, artist of, of some renown. And uh, he did that etching. But, you know, there were a few more over the years and some of them I did myself. And in the last uh, decade, uh, one of my visual art practices has been making these fine art prints that I call black noise, where I'm, you know, I, I trained in school as a printmaker, making editions of, you know, making etchings and things like that, where yeah. you're engraving yeah. or, or etching with acid into a metal plate, and then you're printing it on one of those big old presses and making, you know, editions, uh, ten editions of ten, editions of twenty, whatever. Yeah. So I've been doing that same kind of technique on vinyl records for the last uh, decade, where I'm scratching images, more often mostly abstract images, into into vinyl vinyl records into the soft vinyl of the records with like sharp tools and then printing them on these printing presses and making these prints. Hmm. So I have this whole relationship to this idea of scratched in image on, on vinyl records and mute knew about this. And it was also their suggestion to put this etching on the B side. So the, the A side of the record contains all the music and the B side contains an etching of an image related to the cover art for the yeah. record. The cover yeah. art is a, a sort of a withering flower in amongst this kind of broken chips of glass and stuff that was taken by a friend of mine, a, a sort of youngish uh, Brazilian photographer. I think she's uh, like an, just an incredible uh, photographer. Her name is uh, Ana Bogaciovas. Hmm. And she's really quite unknown, but I've done a few sessions with her down there and she always produces just these absolutely magical, marvelous pictures. And when I saw these images she had created of this flower among this broken glass, it just immediately jumped out at me and said, like, this is the cover image, you know? That's gorgeous. So I had been... All the artwork is gorgeous, if I might say. It's lovely. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So we decided to put an image that I had sketched based on one of her her flower uh, photographs on the B side of the record. Now, the interesting thing is these days... An etched record is done in a, in a new style. Like you probably haven't seen the, the finished vinyl yet because it's basically just about to hit the shops. I only, uh, I will tell you, I ordered it myself last night. So, uh, it's uh, hopefully in transit at some point soon. Yeah. But I haven't held it in my hands. No, not yet. Right. So the, the record is a translucent, uh, turquoise blue that matches the cover colors and things. Uh, and, you know, normally in the old days to make one of those etchings on the back of a record, you'd scratch into a record and you'd send it to the plant and they'd make a master from it and all that stuff. But they don't do it these days like that anymore, which 
in the end, I was, I was a little shocked and disappointed by this because it's done with like a, a computer etching process. So you send in a drawing oh. and they transfer it to the vinyl. And so when you, if you like in the old days, if you ran your hand over one of those etchings, it would have a lot of texture. Yeah. And these days it's almost smooth to the surface of the record. Yeah. I'm not exactly sure how they do it, but it's, it's a bit different process. Yeah. So th- it was their idea, you know, knowing that I had done these etchings before to suggest doing it that way. And I thought like, well, that's a marvelous idea. Put all the music on one side, do an etching on the backside. It hadn't occurred to me. And then we decided to include a poster of another print I had made on one of these vinyl records. I was playing around with this, uh, you know, in, in amidst all these flower paintings I've been doing for the last year and a half. I, I've, I've done a couple of variations based on other things I've seen. And I saw this image... I forget where I first saw it, but it was of a, an electron microscope photograph of a COVID molecule, which, you know, it fit with the theme of the record, even though it was introducing kind of a new image. But the, the image was remarkable. And it was this, be- these beautiful, like tones of deep blue. And then these little kind of red, almost berry like things dotting, dotting through the surface. And, it just visually struck me and, you know, I, I made some watercolor paintings of it and I decided to do one of these record etchings based on, uh, on this image. And mm. in the end, we had a bunch of different images from recent prints I'd made that we were trying to decide which one to make a poster to go in the record. And even though this introduced like an image that's not really found anywhere else in the record, it was the one that we, we most responded to visually between myself and the record company. And so we made a poster edition for the, the first edition of the record. The first pressing is 2,500 copies. Yeah. And so, you know, normally when you make an etching edition, you sign each copy, you know, you sign it in pencil at the bottom and you number it, you know, one of 20, two of 20, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And so I suggested to the record company that I wanted to sign the prints by hand. And so we did that. And so there's a printed poster inside the record that is literally hand signed. So that it also kind of keeps with this intimate quality of like the recording is made in this kind of intimate way. Mm -hmm. And it's about this very intimate time. And so the first 2,500 have this poster that I, I literally spent a few, <laughs> a few long days hand signing all these <laughs> posters and we stamped them with one of these like uh, number yeah. stamps that, you know, advances every time you yeah. hit it. So, uh, so they're, they're, they're stamped and, and signed, which, you know, for me, it was a lot of work, but it really added to the personalized touch of this record, which I really liked. And, you know, Mute was really into the idea. So uh, I'm, I'm very, very happy with, with the package as a whole. I think it came out well. Yeah, I'm looking at a PDF of what I was sent that says it's the liner notes, but everything you're describing in, is in this PDF I'm looking at in terms of process, like your the the etching uh, source material, the way the the final record looks, you signing these numbered posters. Is this going to be in the final uh, liner notes that we receive when we order the record? You know, I don't know the answer to that. I haven't seen. Uh, I've only oh, I've okay. seen one or two finished copies so far. I don't know if the liner notes will be in there, but oh, okay. I think those are more just for the press. But uh, okay, the, but sorry, the sorry, everyone. Will be in there and, <laughs> and the and the colored record. I think the liner notes are. You know, I think on Mute's website there's we I'm, we made a little video of the uh, a little two minute video with some of the music and some of the imagery from the record yeah. and then some images of me uh, sort of like signing and stamping them and all that stuff. Oh, Okay. Um, but I don't know if the liner notes will actually be in the record. I don't think they are. 
I think there's just. Oh, I'm a, sorry to. Uh, I didn't mean to be a braggadocio there for anyone. <laughs> like, why does he get them? I'm just. Uh, this is when I well, say the press, that the, the press uh, always gets that. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. We we do get stuff sometimes. No, I when I say that the artwork looks beautiful, I am I am referring to this PDF I was sent that uh, is very fascinating. It includes these uh, loner notes that I was alluding to earlier. It's just a very thoughtful and uh, reflective of its time. No, no pun intended. It's it's just very thoughtfully uh, packaged and beautifully performed. And like I said, it evoked emotions in various family members of mine wondering what was going on, what I was doing, <laughs> scrambling eggs with this droney guitar. And I was like, no, it's good. You'll like it. Just just eat your eggs. That's what I said. Anyway, <laughs> no, it's uh, it's really wonderful, Lee. And I, uh, you know, I always value your work and and getting to, to chat with you. Um, at this point, I guess I'll ask what's next like this record uh has emerged from a period of for you some creative reflection some measure of hibernation uh this is uh and then you got to it and you you see you sound anyway by this conversation inspired and motivated to work uh some more do you have plans that we should uh, be aware of well you know it's interesting I, I'm, you know plans are starting to formulate it seems like even though uh, we're in limbo to some degree with with the virus. You know, things have definitely opened up. And, uh, you know, I was talking to my partner, Raul, in, in Spain just a couple of days ago, and he said recently in Europe, the, the virus is kind of rearing its head again, and things are getting a lot worse in many of the countries. So, you know, who knows what's going to happen going into yeah. the fall. We, we're anxious to renew our collaboration. We did commit to a a show in France, uh, as I say, if it can happen in January. And so we're talking about the next steps. But, you know, after 18 months of basically nothing, I played three shows this month, um, three completely different performances. Uh, one, a duo with my friend David Watson, who plays bagpipes, a sort of droning uh, duo, electric guitar and bagpipes. Another wow. one with these uh, recreated futurist instruments from 1913 that were these noise instruments created by these Italian futurists uh, in Milan in, in in the early part of the 20th century that uh, a composer named uh, Luciano Cessa has recreated about 10 years ago. And I did a performance with 16 of these noise generating instruments and and me playing the guitar and then i did a a piece uh with an electric guitar quartet from brooklyn called dither and the percussionist brian chase who plays with yeah yeah yeahs and myself playing uh fender Rhodes uh piano uh, a piece i wrote in uh, 2014 right after hurricane sandy had ripped through uh, new york city based on wind sounds that i recorded during the hurricane and mm. we just performed this piece here at the noguchi museum we had we had played it back in 2014 or 2015 a few times this sextet uh, that i just described with this electric guitar quartet called dither from brooklyn and uh, we never recorded it so we we decided when things started to open up that we would get together and and for all six of us it was the first time we'd been in a room with other musicians this is just a month and a half ago and oh, wow. so just just Two weeks ago, we performed it here at this uh, this museum called uh, dedicated to uh, Isamo Noguchi in Long Island yeah. City here. So, you know, things are happening. And actually, next week, my record is released, and I'm going to attempt to perform it um, next Wednesday night in a small club here in Brooklyn on a bill with Steve Gunn and some other people. Oh, and, lovely. You know, That's the great. Yeah. 
so you know the record is quite intimate uh and and you know i don't have any idea what it's going to be like to try and play it in front of a crowd of people with beers in their hands or or whatever because it seems like a very private music to some degree but yeah. you know we'll we'll see what happens as far as that goes well, I mean, you got Steve. Steve Gunn and I have become a little bit friendly of late. Uh, he was on the show this year, and uh, oh, uh, good. I mean, that's a, that's a remarkable bill. So that's great. That's awesome. That's uh, yeah. I'm I'm glad you know, you're the active. Other thing I was gonna, yeah, me too. You know, it's it's uh, you know, I'm looking forward to things opening up. But you know, the one thing I wanted to say about that was, you know, I wanted to use this moment. I think a lot of people felt like these 18, you know, they wanted to just erase these 18 months and sort of pick up where they left off on March 1st, basically, and say, and pretend it never happened. And for me, I'm feeling something very different from that. I'm, I'm a little hesitant about going forward because I really want to feel like going forward is both, is a sort of like a rebirth and like, yeah. I want to be, be ready to do brand new things rather than just go back to the familiar old things that I was doing. I, mean, I really want this break to to have a meaning to it, you know. Absolutely, and so yeah. the fact that the three the three performances I've done so far were all so radically different is is hopefully a good sign for going forward. I mean, Raul and I are kind of plotting our our future in the same mode. It's like let's not go back and you know we never really got to perform the last record, and we could do that now. But I think our our motivation is more to go forward and just keep pushing forward rather than try and recreate something that we were in the thick. Of of, you know, 18 or, or 20 months ago. So oh, yeah. that's yeah. my hope for going forward is I don't have particular immediate plans, but uh, I want to work in uh, in a way where concert performances are more special, less routine, more more specific, or maybe even almost like site-specific, you know? Absolutely, uh, that, yeah. That's, that's, I, I that's agree. That's my hope going forward. Yeah, and I, that's my hope going forward for all of us because the, the, ten yeah. the tension I'm experiencing now is that you're absolutely correct. I think you said this earlier, like the pandemic and, and this virus have been horribly tragic on several levels, but I do think we got time to think about how we all behave as humans. And my hope and my, yes. my dread is that we don't take the like that reflection upon the way we used to live and the failure of it, whatever it is, like just taking what we just learned over the last 18, 20 months, however long it's been about how we could be better, how we could do things better. I hope it's not just a simple regression back to people stuffing themselves on the subway cars or in traffic to get to play. Like, you know, there's yep. just aspects of this time that I hope we use to our advantage and behave in ways that are more purposeful and less uh, wasteful in every regard, time, environmentally, whatever. So, sorry, I just wanted to get on my soapbox for a second there, Lee, and uh, and uh, echo, I think, some of what you're saying. I do want to ask you... Uh, uh, no, exactly. You, exactly yeah. what I was, what I'm thinking the same thing. Yeah, I think we're on this. I think we've been on the same wavelength for a long time, you and me, Lee, whether you knew it or not. And so... Yep, <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> I, I wanted to ask you uh, sort of of, uh, housekeeping questions. If you want to, if people want to learn more about you and in virus times about uh, checking out the the record, uh, where would you like to direct people? 
Well, um, I've got a pretty extensive website uh, that's just LeeRonaldo.com that uh, people can go there. My Instagram is usually a place where I, I try to keep up to date on my activities. And then Mute has a pretty nice page for my uh, my stuff, too. Uh, I mean, if you okay. Google Lee Ronaldo Mute Records in Virus Times, you'll see that video we were talking about. And you'll see a lot of those loner notes uh, kind of paraphrased as well. You know, things like that are, are, are in there. You know, the other... Uh, influence i wanted to say about the record aside from the whole i mean well the pandemic is the main influence but there was a period over the summer during the pandemic where uh i've always loved the music of the composer morton feldman yeah and if you know that music at all it's very very sparse and durational some of the pieces are like two hours or i think there's one that's even five hours long and there's not a lot of stuff happening in them they're almost like these little bursts or blooms and a lot of silence and open space and i found uh that music so uh, relevant for myself during the pandemic that I was just, I, I, I delved deeper into his catalog than I'd ever done before. And I was playing many of these tracks on repeat. So just all day long, oh, they were nice. kind of this ambience in the house. <laughs> and I, I feel like uh, even though my record doesn't sound like that music, something about listening to how deftly he worked with these sparse elements really gave me part of the motivation for keeping my record so simple. I see. You know? I see. Well, I appreciate you uh, shouting that out and pointing people uh, to him. That's, that's cool. But, um, I, I do want, as I, uh, as I want to do at the end of a conversation like this, I, I want to actually, uh, give people a flavor of what we've been talking about by way of perhaps uh, sharing a song. And I wonder if, if, if it's permissible to you, uh, the record is out as we're speaking, the record's out uh, this Friday, uh, the, the November 12th. Uh, the, uh, I wonder, can you pick a song from Envirus Times uh, for us to go out on? And if so, which one would you like uh, people to hear? Well, you know, they're all sort of four parts of the whole, but um, I, I would say, um, I'm happy to have you play any one of them. I, I, I guess, you know, within you, I don't know what your time constraints are, but there are, uh, there are none. There are none. You oh. can pick whatever you want. Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's choose the last section, the section okay. four. Sure. And, and they're just, they're reason? just called part one to four. So they're, they're, they don't have track names other, other than part one, part two, part three, and part four. I mean, it's the resolution yeah. of the, of the record in a way. And it's, um, yeah. it gives a little bit of the flavor without, uh, without going on for too long, I guess. <laughs> okay. Okay, fair enough. Let's let's hear it. This is uh, part four uh, from the beautiful new album in Virus Times by Lee Ronaldo. Lee, uh, always a, a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you for making time for me, and I, I hope we speak again, and I wish you the best of luck in the future. Okay, same here, Vish. It's, it's always great to talk to you. I can always be guaranteed we're going to have an in-depth conversation, which is <laughs> uh, the most appreciated thing. So you take care, and uh, hopefully when, when things open up, uh, maybe we'll meet in person at some point down the road.
One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. It's always very, very nice to speak with Lee Ronaldo. Lee, thank you so much for appearing on this, the 648th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you can't find an episode that you've heard about and you're looking for it and you don't know where it is, or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my monthly newsletter, please visit my website, vishkana.com. You can also like Creative Control's Facebook page or follow the show on Twitter at Vish Creative, or you can follow me directly on Instagram and on Facebook at Vish Khanna. Also visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to sustain this show. $6 or more grants you access to exclusive archival content from my uh, long history as a journalist and guy who interviews people. And so I'm I dig through the archives every once in a while and try to post something up there uh, that is not part of the regular show. And again, $6 or more uh, in terms of a flexible monthly donation at the on the Patreon there, $6 or more a month grants you access to that content and other stuff too. Uh, and also, if you're interested in receiving a Creative Control t-shirt, please just message me on Patreon and I'll get you one while supplies last. Uh, links for most of the things I just said and uh, things I'm about to say are available in the episode description, uh, depending on, well, probably however you're listening to this, hopefully there's a bunch of links right below it in the uh, text there. Uh, Speaking of such links, thanks again to the fine Alberta record retailer Blackbird Music, which you can learn more about at blackbird.ca, and also to Pizza Trocadero, uh, the bookshelf in Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario, for their in-kind support for this show. Uh, Thanks also... Uh, to my friend Jim Guthrie for letting me use some music of his on this show. He's a sweetheart of a person, and you can learn more about him and his vast catalog of song at jimguthrie.org. And finally, thank you for listening to this episode with Lee Ronaldo. Uh, Lee's been on the show a bunch of times, so if you haven't heard those episodes before, uh, dig through the archives and see if you can find them. Uh, They're on my website and uh, hopefully uh, in the podcast platform you use. Uh, speaking of uh, the podcast, thanks for uh, listening to it, as I say, but also consider subscribing to the show and and maybe telling your friends about the show and maybe they'll do the same things as you. Listen to it and follow it and subscribe to it and help spread the word about it. If you can, that would be great. I appreciate it. And otherwise, I think that's it for me. I will talk to you very soon. Check out Envirus Times by Lee Ronaldo. 
Be well. Talk to you soon. Bye for now. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.